Hey there, this is Nathan Agin. Welcome to the Working Actors Journey. And uh, we are going back to some of the workshop presentations. Uh, as many of you know, over the last year, it's kind of amazing to think that it's already been a year, uh, but we've been doing these online uh, presentations at the end of, uh, you know, four weeks or uh, as a recent case, seven weeks. Uh, of really in-depth work. We've been doing all Shakespeare so far, uh, and there's uh, something else new coming up I'll share in a second. Uh, but this is going back to the very first time we attempted this. You know, it, it just, it, well, there's so much I want to share, but, you know, it, it came about, we did this workshop, I think we only spent about two or three weeks, uh, you know, with the actors and the directors working on the material. And this came about less than a month after we had done a second live stream reading of The Merry Wives of Windsor, you can catch the entire reading on both the podcast, uh, and YouTube. Um, but this is June 2020. So we're only a few months into lockdown. Uh, we had done two live stream readings and I just, you know, was having these conversations with a lot of the actors involved going, what do you want to do? Like, I think we're going to have some time on our hands and, and what do you want to do? And for the first time, you know, really ever, all of these people were available. So that's how we were able to do the live stream readings, you know, anyway. Uh, and then, you know, what came out of that is having the time to really work on a piece of material. And that's what's kind of fun is, you know, I go back and look at this footage from June 2020. And again, it's a year later. And we've done, I think, about a dozen, uh, you know, groups. And so, you know, final presentations. You know, so much of this I was figuring out on the fly at the time, but the nucleus of what it was, uh, is pretty much still the same. And, and we realized, you know, all of us pretty quickly that this was a good formula. Something was working here. And I think we've seen that over and over again, uh, that there is really something here. And, and it took something like the pandemic, uh, for us to discover that, uh, you know, I, I had no plans at the start of 2020 of like, Oh, I'm going to start producing these online workshops. I didn't even know, you know, what I was going to be doing with the podcast and how much I could do. Uh, but then this happened. So there's a lot of setup and there's a lot I could talk about, you know, about this workshop, but, uh, I'm just really excited. And there are so many hours of amazing work that has happened over the past year. And I have a plan to share more of that here on the podcast, uh, and on YouTube. We have all the video, you know, from the, from the live presentations, uh, so you can watch it or listen to it. And I know it was originally created as a video thing, but because we're really focused on the text and, and conversations, you know, you're not missing I, I mean, you know, maybe there's 5%. Of course, you, you know, you can always see people's faces and all that kind of stuff, but you're really not missing much by just listening to it because we, we have continued to put such an emphasis on the text and, and what the characters are saying and what they're doing and what their intention is. So I think all of that will still come through. Uh, but if you prefer to watch it, you can go check out the YouTube clip and, and see the whole thing. So, um, and, you know, I will perhaps be able to put it a few other places or at least, uh, you know, some clips and all that kind of stuff. Now, after a year of doing Shakespeare, uh, we are actually in the midst of planning a month of checkoff 
uh, in the rehearsal room with Libby Apple. And Libby is the former artistic director of the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Uh, I think there's only, there's been like less than six artistic directors or something, but right around that number. So she's one of a very few uh, group of people that have, you know, run that place. Uh, and then she was also former artistic director of Indiana Repertory, and she's the former dean of uh, CalArts Theater, among, uh, you know, a few other things she's done. Uh, and she's a Kennedy Center uh, award winner, uh, and she is in love with Chekhov, kind of a lifelong passion, as she explains it. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I think it was after her time as the artistic director, but at some point OSF commissioned her to write five new versions of Chekhov's plays, and that's the text we're going to be using uh, for her session. You can actually pick up the book. Uh, they're called it's called Five Chekhov Plays. You can go to chekhovplays.com. Uh, you can learn more about Libby and her work. Uh, links to buy the book and all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's that's what we're doing in September. Now, signups to work with Libby are already sold out, which is wonderful and, uh, I'm sure for some of you heartbreaking and I, I wish, uh, you know, we, we could accommodate a hundred people, but, uh, you know, so that session with Libby is sold out, but I am looking at a couple other things that we might be able to bring with you, bring to you during that month of checkoff. Um, you know, there's a couple other, you know, ways we could approach the material. Uh, you know, again, with that eye of, you know, bringing really amazingly talented professionals, uh, to a wider audience, uh, and to the next generation of artists and, and actors, you know, that's, that's what we have the eye on. So that, that's what was coming up. I mean, I'm sure we will do more Shakespeare. Libby, of course, uh, you know, is just one pr- example has a history with Shakespeare as well, so we might, you know, maybe we'll be able to bring her back for something like that. But yeah, she's super into Chekhov and is so excited to be uh, working on it uh, in this way. It's all, uh, again, virtual, um, which is wonderful. It's how we can bring together all these people. So stay tuned. Again, my plan is to roll out more of these presentations. I just have hours and hours of amazing footage that I want to get out there. So I have a plan, um, you know, over the coming months and we'll see how close I'm able to, you know, stick to it and, and if anything else comes up, but that's the, that's the plan. Uh, but in the meantime, Please enjoy this session today from Richard the Third. Now again, this was the first time we worked, uh, you know, in this uh, format. And so you're going to hear from two scenes. We did, we combined, uh, the two scenes that the groups are working on into one presentation. Uh, and there's uh, a scene at the very, the very first, uh, scene of the play, you know, the famous now is the winter speech and, and the scene that follows. And then there's a scene later in act four, a uh, little fun note is we ended up doing that same act four scene for a scene later with another group, which I'm sure you'll, you know, we'll, we'll release another point. Um, but, uh, you know, so you can check out the, those two scenes today. We have Jeffrey Wade and Gigi Birmingham directing the two scenes. Uh, and in Jeffrey's scene, there's Tony Amendola as Richard. Uh, Jeffrey Wade actually played Clarence, a little honorable mention to Marcelo Tuber, who had been rehearsing, uh, but uh, was unable to be there for the presentation. Uh, and then Russell Clements as Brackenberry. Uh, and uh, then in the second scene, we have Angie Bird as Margaret, Candace Crystal as the Duchess, and Ashley Engelman as Queen Elizabeth. 
Uh, and you'll also hear Gideon Rappaport uh, as the dramaturg. You know, he's been part of just about everything we've done, which has been really wonderful. And, uh, of course, you know, you're going to hear some fantastic performances from uh, Tony Amendola and Angie Bird as the, uh, you know, veteran professionals. Uh, but really, you know, everybody else, uh, Russell, Candace, and Ashley, uh, all bringing some excellent work to this. So, you know, it, that's been one of the really amazing things to, to witness, uh, is that there are never any weak links. I mean, everybody is so good. And, and of course, like having the time to dive into these characters in a way that you rarely get, uh, affords you that ability to, to really bring your A game and, and, and show up and, and like any sport or whatever, if you're playing against people that are better than you, it's going to raise your game. So, uh, that's been really cool to witness. That's it for me. You know, you're going to hear a little bit more of me in a second with the introduction of this. Uh, you know, I pretty much gave you the whole thing. Um, it ends a little bit early. I think, um, you know, something with the Zoom, we didn't capture the end, but, uh, you know, pretty much you get, you know, the whole experience. Uh, we just do a little Q&A at the end, uh, and that's it. So please enjoy uh, our first virtual workshop presentation uh, of Richard III. So, uh, again, welcome. My name is Nathan Agin, uh, and thank you so much for being part of our open workshop of Richard III. Uh, I will say, first of all, we've continued to have discussions of, you know, what this is and what it might uh, be. And so if, uh, if you would like to get involved, uh, you can submit your interest for future workshops and I'll try to, let's see, I'll see if I can drop some individual or I can drop some links into the chat. But uh, there's a sign-up form for people to uh, express your interest, whether you are interested in acting, uh, directing, doing text work, voice work, uh, monologue coaching, whatever, whatever you'd like to do. Uh, you know, we're looking for actors of all levels uh, and, and, you know, all the positions I just mentioned. Um, and please feel free to share that link with, uh, with other actors and students and other people you know. Uh, you know, there's really... Looking for, you know, how can we get as wide uh, and diverse a group in terms of age and experience and all that kind of stuff? That's that's been part of the fun of this today is uh, bringing in different uh, generations of actors and, and performers. So uh, we're hoping to continue that. Uh, for anyone uh, who wants to follow along, we're using the Folger version of the texts, and hopefully uh, everyone can see the link I just uh, put there. Um, that's a link to the Richard the third version. So if you wanted to follow along, you can use that text and here, I'm just going to throw this link. This was the one I was trying to do before. So that second link is if you want to sign up for the workshop, uh, for future workshops. Uh, and, uh, I will send out an email, uh, either tonight or tomorrow with, uh, uh links of, uh, everything I mentioned. So if you don't get a chance to write them down or click right now, you can, you'll have them later. Uh, and I do want to say, uh, that I want to thank, uh, everybody for, uh, giving for, for those who have signed up, uh, we'll be able to make a donation of more than a hundred dollars to the innocence project, which is helping to overturn wrongful convictions. Uh, and if you would like to give more, if you, you know, attend this, uh, presentation and you're like, you know what, I, I want to give more to this project, uh, registrations for this event will be open until 9 PM Pacific. So you can go back to where you're registered and just buy another ticket, uh, and, uh, you know, whatever amount you'd like to put in there. So thank you uh, again to everybody for being so generous. Uh, and 
the link for that I'll put in there as well. Um, and I will quickly mention, uh, I mentioned uh, the podcast I have, uh, there are, uh, members of the podcast. If you would like to be a premium member of the podcast starting just $2 a month, uh, I'm offering, you know, early access to things and discounts, including for these workshops. So if that's something of interest, it's a way to just continue to support these creative endeavors, uh, I want to thank everybody that you can see because they donated their time and talent. And like many artistic endeavors, uh, it is a labor of love and nobody's getting rich off these things. So we do appreciate the support to make them happen. Um, very quickly, how this uh, will go. Um, Gideon uh, Rappaport, who's a dramaturg and teacher, he'll kind of start us off and give us a little bit of um, uh, information and context. Uh, we'll do, uh, each of the, uh, the scenes. The first scene that we're doing, Act One, Scene One, uh, Richard the Third, and then Act Four, Scene Four. So it's easy to remember. One, one, and four, four. Uh, and, uh, depending on, you know, we'll run this, run the scenes, and if the actors want to work anything, or if anybody has any questions, uh, ah, that's an important point, and it was my next point. Uh, but we'll, uh, you know, go through the scenes a, a bit and then uh, do a final period for Q&A. If you do have questions, please use the uh, Zoom chat function. Uh, those messages will come right to me. Um, and I only do that so that the actors are not distracted by, you know, new chat questions coming in while they're performing. Uh, and so, but don't worry, both myself and Kevin will be uh, monitoring that and making sure if, if you do have any questions about what you're seeing or if you want to ask about a piece of the text or something the actors are working on, that's an opportunity to do that. Uh, and uh, one thing I, uh, I do need to mention <coughs> is, unfortunately, uh, Marcelo Tuber could not uh, be with us this evening. Um, but uh, for, uh, luckily, uh, Jeffrey Wade has uh, graciously stepped in to read the part of Clarence. He's been directing the scene. Uh, but he's also going to be performing uh, Clarence. So uh, with that, I think that's it for me. Um, I, I, I see one question. Somebody asked where Angie is, and Angie is on my screen. So if for some reason, depending on the size of your screen or if you don't have gallery view on, you might not see Angie. Um, or you might, if you, if you have, have um, ah, this is important, the hide non-participant view. Um, hopefully yeah. there were instructions when you saw that, but... If if you just see like a name on the screen, you can click in the like upper right corner of that box and say hide participant, hide non-participant view. And that should shrink the number of actual faces. Right now, you should only see nine boxes on your screen because that's how many people are on the call. Uh, sorry, that's how many people have their video turned on. So if you don't see Angie or anyone else, you may have to be scrolling through your windows of Zoom windows. So, uh, But that's it, a little technical thing. Um, good. The person who couldn't see Angie before can now see her, but hopefully that uh, answered, uh, the questions for anybody else. Uh, and that's it. I will turn it over to Gideon, uh, and, uh, I'll be, uh, I'll be in the background. I'll be off stage. All right. Uh, thank you guys so much. Okay. Well, I'm going to talk a little about this play, Richard the third. Um, and I'm not going to say too much, but I want to give a little context. So the first thing to know is Shakespeare burst on the theatrical scene with the Henry VI plays, um, which were about English history and thrilling to everybody. Um, and he's writing them about a nearly 100-year period of wars called the Wars of the Roses. It started with the deposing of Richard II, and it ended with the 
defeat of Richard III at the Battle of Bosworth. Um, the odd thing about the eight plays that Shakespeare wrote on this subject was that he wrote the four plays about the last part of this war first. And then he wrote the four plays about the first part of the war later. So what we're seeing is the fourth play that he wrote, but it's the, it's telling the story of the end of the, of the series. When, when Richard II is deposed, it starts a war between two families. They're called the Lancaster family and the York family. Um, the Lancasters have the red rose and the Yorks have the white rose. And they are essentially in battle for the next 85 to 90 years. Where we come in now, um, the Yorkists have done away with all of the Lancastrian pretenders to the throne. They've killed Henry VI, although his widow, the old Queen Margaret, is left alive. They've killed Henry VI's son, um, and they have come to power. And who are they, the Yorks? There are three brothers. The king, who is Edward IV, his next younger brother named Clarence, and his youngest brother named Richard. Richard's the hunchback. Um, this, this play we're taking scenes from is going to give us Richard's rise to power and final destruction, demise. At the beginning of the play, his brother, his eldest brother is the king, and his middle brother, Clarence, is being sent to the tower. Um, and during the play, Richard is going to be responsible for getting rid of everyone between himself and the crown till he becomes king. So that the second scene we see are the ladies left alive lamenting uh, the various deaths that Richard has caused. I will, I'll introduce each scene particularly, but I wanted you to have that background so that you, you can put the whole thing in context. This is a hundred years of civil war, um, between two family claimants to the throne. And first the one is, um, on top. That's the Lancasters and they are, um, Henry IV and Henry V and Henry VI. And then come the, Lanc- the Yorkist kings, and there Edward IV, his son who gets killed during this play, finally Richard III. And when they, when Richard is overthrown at the end of this play, the one who becomes king is Henry VII. He is named Tudor, and he founds the line that are the kings when Shakespeare's writing. So that Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth, is queen during Shakespeare's career, and her grandfather was Henry VII, the one who defeated this king, Richard III. Okay, I think that's all I want to say now about the general background, um, except one more thing. The deposing of Richard is the fall of England into chaos and corruption. And the restoration, the uh, ascending to the throne of Henry VII, when Richard III is defeated, is kind of a, a restoration, a a redemption. And Richard is the man chosen by heaven to wipe out, to punish all the sins of all those people who have gone in between and corruptly come to power. Um, and when he is done being a scourge of God, 
things are restored. That's how Shakespeare's seeing it in these two tetralogies, these two foreplay groups. So now I will um, get us to uh, the first scene we're going to do, and that is Act 1, Scene 1 of Richard III. Um, the Yorks have killed King Henry. They've killed his son. And they've come to power. Um, and the person in power at the moment is King Edward IV. He's not well. We don't know if he's not well because he's being poisoned or because of disease. Shakespeare doesn't tell us. Um, but he's not well. He's not going to last long. The youngest son who opens the play is the hunchback, Richard III. He's misshapen. He wants to be the king. He doesn't care who is between his brother Edward and himself. He's going to get them out of the way. And um, I guess that's enough to say to begin Act One, Scene One of Richard III. Now is the winter of our discontent made glorious summer by this sun of York. And all the clouds that lowered upon our house in the deep bosom of the ocean buried. Now are our brows bound with victorious wreaths, our bruised arms hung up for monuments, our stern alarums changed to merry meetings, our dreadful marches to delightful measures. Grim visage war hath smoothed his wrinkly front, and now, instead of mounting barbed steeds to fright the souls of fearful adversaries, he capers nimbly in a lady's chamber, to the lascivious pleasing of a lute. But I, who am not shaped for sportive tricks, nor made to look like amorous looking-glass, I, that am rudely stamped and want love's majesty to strut before a wanton ambling nymph, I, that am curtailed of this fair proportion, cheated of feature by dissembling nature, deformed, unfinished, sent before my time into this breathing world scarce half made up, and that so lamely and unfashionably that dogs bark at me as I halt by them. In this weak, piping time of peace, have no delight to pass away the time, unless to see my shadow in the sun and descant upon mine own deformity. And therefore, since I cannot prove a lover to entertain these farewell-spoken days, I am determined to prove a villain and hate the idle pleasures of these days. Plots have I lain. Inductions dangerous by drunken prophecies, libels, and dreams to set. My brother Clarence and the king in deadly hate, the one against the other. And if King Edward be as true and just as I am subtle, false, and treacherous, this day should Clarence closely be mewed up about a prophecy which says the G of Edward's heirs, the murderer, shall be. Die thoughts. Down to my soul here, Clarence comes. Brother, hmm. good day. 
what means this armored guard that waits upon your grace? His majesty, tendering my person's safety, hath appointed this conduct to convey me to the tower. Uh, upon what cause? Because my name is George. Well, that, my lord, that fault is none of yours. He should for that commit your godfathers. Or belike his majesty hath some intent that you should be new christened in the tower. But what's the matter, Clarence? May I know? Nay, Richard, when I know. For I protest as yet I do not. <sighs> but, but as I can learn, he hearkens after prophecies and dreams and from the crossroad plucks the letter G and says a wizard told him that by G his issue disinherited should be. And for my name of George begins with G, it follows in his thoughts that I am he. These, as I learn, and such like toys as these, hath moved his highness to commit me now. Why, this it is when men are ruled by women. It is not the king that sends you to the tower, my lady Grey, his wife, Clarence, to she that tempers him to this extremity. Mm. Was it not she and that good man of worship, Antony Woodville there, her brother, that made him send Lord Hastings to the tower from whence this very day is he delivered? We are not safe, Clarence. We are not safe. By heaven, I think there is no man secure but the queen's kindred and night-walking heralds that trudge betwixt the king and Mistress Shore. Heard you not? What an humble, suppliant Lord Hastings was to her for his delivery. <laughs> Humbly complaining to her deity got my Lord Chamberlain his liberty. I tell you what, I think it is our way, if we will keep in favor with the king, to be her men and wear her livery. <sighs> the jealous or worn widow and herself, since that our brother dubbed them gentlewomen, are mighty gossips in the monarchy. I beseech your graces both to pardon me. His majesty hath strictly given in charge that no man is to have private conference, of what degree soever, with your brother. Even so. And please, your worship, Brackenbury, you may partake of anything we say. We speak no treason, man. We say the king is wise and virtuous and his noble queen, well struck in years, fair and not jealous. We say that Shore's wife hath a pretty foot, a cherry lip, a bonny eye, and a passing pleasing tongue, and that the Queen's kindred are made gentlefolk. How say you, sir? Can you deny all this? With this, my lord, myself have not to do. Not to do? <laughs> with Mistress Shore? I tell thee, fellow, he that doth not with her, excepting one, were best to do it secretly, alone. What one, my lord? Why, her husband, knave, wilt thou betray me? I do beseech your grace to pardon me, and withal, forbear your conference with the noble duke. We know thy charge, Brackenbury, and will obey. Uh, we are the queen's abjects and must obey. Brother, farewell. I will unto the king, and whatsoever you will employ me in, were it to call King Edward's widow sister, I will perform it to enfranchise you. Meantime, this deep disgrace in brotherhood touches me deeper than you can imagine. I know it pleaseth neither of us well. Well, 
Your imprisonment shall not be long. I will deliver you or else lie for you. Meantime, have patience. I must perforce. Farewell. Go. Tread the path that thou shalt ne'er return. Simple, plain Clarence. I do love thee so that I will shortly send thy soul to heaven. If heaven will take the present at our hands. But who comes here? Uh, oops, there we go. Well, that was fun. Speaking as the director, I hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> I sure did. Uh, um, I suppose we could have a little chat here. Uh, how did you feel that went for you, Tony? I thought it sounded great. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's always, um, it's sort of the modern actor's dilemma in the kind of ways that, you know, I thought instinctively it feels a little, a little quick and we were, you know, we were discussing how, you know, uh, obviously, you know, Shakespeare is a, a quicker playwright than Miller or Williams or, uh, certainly Jankoff. Uh, but, you know, for the modern audience and their ear and for the modern actor who, who wants to scratch at things, it's always a pull. So, uh, you know, we, uh, yeah, I tried to honor what we were talking about, you know, which is, uh, to move ahead, but it would be interesting if, if we were to do it again to slightly to pull it back. Now, I don't know, you know, uh, again, I mean, was that the speed that you, you, you were thinking of or, yes. or was it even too slow? Um, I don't think, I don't think it needs to go any slower. I think as, as I said, this interesting thing happens when, when, uh, one has had a chance to, to work on the details and sort of, you know, get down to the, get down to the bare metal, um, that, uh, you can then trust that what you've discovered will come out even if you move through it fairly quickly. And, and, and a, a thing I've noticed over and over and really, particularly with you, Tony, because you have such, um, richness and such command of the language anyway is that it tends to um slightly force an actor to um to pick out the operative words um and uh which is always uh, always a, a thing i mean i know uh, we all know dakin matthews in this group i think uh he's always on about you know finding the operative words and and letting the other stuff take care of itself and i think particularly in a, a scene like this which is to, to my mind, quite straightforward. Um, and the imagery is terrific, but it's not particularly complicated. I think right. you can trust that the audience, you know, when you're working the operative words, the audience will get it. You don't need, uh, not that you're doing that, but one in no, general does not need to explain it. So. Yeah. No, no, you're absolutely right. And it, it's, but it's sort of an interesting dilemma, isn't it? Because it is. It gets, yeah. to, it gets to how fast do you start a Shakespeare play? We all know as audience, you need, you need, there's an audience makes an adjustment. Yes. To the language. By and large, an audience will understand more of Shakespeare 15 minutes in than they do five minutes in. Absolutely. I, the, I'm talking, I'm not us and not a people that I'm talking about your average audience. And so it's intriguing that this speech, which is the beginning and lays out the whole thing, uh, of, you know, do you, Move ahead or do you, or do you allow yourself 
because you're setting up the story to do I, it. I don't know. I, I don't think know. you can. I think you can do a little of each. I, I, you know, we've we, we've found that this speech is in sort of three sections. The sort of celebratory part of the beginning. You know, here's uh, things are great. We've won. We've won, and this is you know the war is over. Then we get to something um, much more personal about how it doesn't affect you. And then there's this third section where you move on. And I, I think, you know, you could, because in the first section in particular, you have, you have many examples of how things have changed. You know, we're not on stage, we're dancing. We're not, uh, we're not making war sounds. We're making this sounds. I think you can rely on the, uh, the amount of imagery to carry you. You don't have to, ex- you know, you don't, you don't have to get everything into one line, actually. Right, right. So, gotcha. so I think you could perhaps move through that quickly, but then that then gives you a license to quite slow down for your personal part. You know, okay. But I'm telling you, this does not apply to me. Okay. And then you, right. and then well, you can find, one. then you can find yet another energy for that third part, which is, and here's what I'm going to do about it. You know, uh, so, so, so everything is right. There are places where you can slow down, but I think the places where you're, where you don't have to, you really don't have to. You, you can right through it. Can okay. I add a comment to this? Yeah. Um, Dakin's right about the operative words, but the, the the operation of Shakespeare's words in just about every line is antithesis. He hmm. builds the drama out of oppositions or opposites or antitheses, and my experience is. That if, if you're hitting the antitheses clearly, you can go as fast as you want. There's, the audience does not get lost if the antitheses and the meaning through them is coming out clearly. And it takes less than 15 minutes for the audience to get, to catch up to listening to Shakespeare when the actors begin the scene with those clear antitheses. And the, the feeling that you have to, um, slow down and fill in is is abolished when you're you're really nailing the antitheses all the way through. That's, yeah. It becomes so dramatic that it moves. And right. There's no slow or fast doesn't matter. It moves at it, it moves well, at a great pace no matter how quickly it's going. You know, I mean, I, I think that that's part of the deal. You know that the that tempo and how, how you manipulate tempo, how you, you, the speech, uh, the, the text is always there. And it can be done rapidly and it, but it's always the same. And actually, you know, what the audience is coming to hear, this may be scandalous to say, is not the text. It's the subtext. They can read the text at home. So consequently, mm-hmm. that's why it's important, I think, as a modern actor, for you to, to negotiate something. Otherwise, you're off to the races, and I've, I've experienced this as an actor. You're off to the races, and you think, shit, oh, excuse me, <laughs> what the hell just happened? Yes. <laughs> you, 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 aren't, you aren't driving the Maserati, and this is a, a Bugatti, a Maserati. This is a, you know, this is a boy. You aren't, the actor, it's the, it, you're being driven. And that's a, a big, um, it's an interesting sort of dilemma. I, I only, I'm being honest, as an actor, so that we don't, we, you don't think that it's, um, that there's one way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and that's, that's why I, 
I mean, I, I agree, and that's why I think you can, you can find different tempi, even right, within right. the same speech. Right, um, exactly. And, and as, as I'm, as I'm always, uh, so, sort of, uh, arguing for, you find those different tempi where, you know, um, I don't know who's watching us, but you know, the, the trick with, I, trick, the technique with, uh, longer speeches is always to sort of find the place where you think the speech could end, but then you, have to go into the next part of it, you know, that, gotcha. that brings you to a new energy. And, um, uh, and the further apart those differences are, whether it's tempi or, uh, the sense of humor or how serious or whatever, the, the bigger, the further apart you're, you're willing to pull those, the more boldly yeah. you pull those apart, the more interesting it is. And, and, right. and I, I, th- I think you never have to worry about being, you know, false to the character because you are, this is your Richard. This is Tony's right. Richard. You, you sort of can't do it wrong. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Do you want to have another go at it and stop? Oh, stop, absolutely. Stop talking. <laughs> stop me talking so much. Let's, uh, do we, do we have time for that? Nathan, is anyone listening? Can we? Uh, yeah, sure. Go, go ahead. And, and, uh, you know, just to add, um, I, I'd also be curious, uh, I know we spent a lot of time chatting about the first part of the scene, but at, at some point I'd love to hear, uh, from Russell, you know, if there were things he discovered or, um, you know, what he might have found challenging or, or just in the rehearsals that you guys had, I, I'd love to hear, you know, uh, Russell's experience as well. Let's, well. let's, let's hear a little something now and, and Tony can sit back for a second. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> Please. What, Russell? Uh, so we discussed a lot about status and the importance of that and how that affects, um, like interactions between characters in Shakespeare scenes. So, uh, we started off in my first instinct, especially the kind of person I am. And honestly, the way I act at work where I'm kind of the, like on the lowest rung, I was kind of like, Oh, uh, excuse me guys. Uh, I know you guys are talking, but, um, will you mind like leaving please? So then we played around with what if I'm um, like higher than them. And I say, all right, time to go like in the car, let's go. But um, so, yeah, so, so that was really fun to play with too. And um, I kind of think it's fun. Like, like even though it's a small, it's a small character, but I like to think about what it's like to explore a regime change. You know, things are still kind of like up in the air and I'm kind of like, all right, do I stick with the King or do I? So I think Brackenberry is definitely like, I think the Kings will be fine. So I can talk to these two guys like this, which like in the end, spoiler alert, he's wrong, but, uh, <laughs> very good. Very good. Yeah. But yeah, so that's been really fun to play with, with, uh, like different statuses and yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's carry on then, and not take up uh, too much more time. Now is the winter of our discontent made glorious summer by the sun of York, and all the clouds that lowered upon our house in the deep bosom of the ocean buried. Now are our brows bound with victorious wreaths. Our bruised arms hung up for monuments. Our stern alarms changed to merry meetings. Grim-visaged war hath smoothed his wrinkled front. And now, instead of mounting barbed steeds to fright the souls of fearful adversaries, he capers nimbly in a lady's chamber to the lascivious pleasing of a lute. 
but I, who am not made for sport of tricks, nor shaped to court an amorous looking glass, I, that am rudely stamped and want love's majesty to strut before a wanton ambling nymph, I that am curtailed of this fair proportion, cheated by feature of dissembling nature, unformed, definished. <laughs> Hold on, I'm going to start again. <laughs> so good. Thank you. <laughs> now is the winter of our discontent made glorious summer by the sun of York. And all the clouds that lowered upon our house in the deep bosom of the ocean buried. Now are our brows bound with victorious wreaths, our bruised arms hung up for monuments, our stern alarms changed to merry meetings, our dreadful marches to delightful measures. Grim-visaged war hath smoothed his wrinkled front. And now, instead of mounting barbed steeds to fright the souls of fearful adversaries, he capers nimbly in a lady's chamber to the lascivious pleasing of a lute. But I who am not shaped for sport of tricks, nor made to court an amorous looking less. I that am rudely stamped and want love's majesty to strut before a wanton ambling nymph. I that am curtailed of this fair proportion, cheated a feature by dissembling nature, deformed, unfinished, Sent before my time into this breathing world scarce hath made up and that so lamely and unfashionable that dogs bark at me when I halt by them. Why I in this weak piping time of peace have no delight to pass away the time unless it be to see my shadow in the sun and descant upon mine own deformity. And therefore, since I cannot prove a lover to entertain these farewell-spoken days, I am determined to prove a villain and hate the idle pleasures of these days. Plots have I lain, inductions dangerous by drunken prophecies, libels, and dreams, to set my brother Clarence and the king in deadly hate the one against the other. And if King Edward be as true and just as I am subtle, false, and treacherous, this day should Clarence closely be mewed up about a prophecy which says that G of Edward's heirs, the murderers, shall be Thy thoughts down to my soul. Here Clarence comes. Brother, good day. What means this armed guard that waits upon your grace? His majesty, tendering my person's safety, hath appointed this conduct to convey me to the tower. Upon what cause? Because my name is George. Uh, alack, my lord, that fault is none of yours. You should for that commit your godfathers 
or belike his majesty hath some intent that you should be new christened in the tower? But what's the matter, Clarence? May I know? Yea, Richard, when I know, for I protest as yet I do not. But as I can learn, he hearkens after prophecies and dreams and from the crossroad plucks the letter G and says a wizard told him that by G his issue disinherited should be. And for my name of George begins with G, it follows in his thought that I am he. <laughs> these, as I learn, and such like toys as these hath moved his highness to commit me now. Why, this it is when men are ruled by women. It is not the king that sends you to the tower. My lady Grey, his wife, Clarence, tis she that tempers him to this extremity. Was it not she and that good man of worship, Antony Woodville, her brother there, that made him send Lord Hastings to the tower mm. from whence this present day he is delivered? We are not safe, Clarence. We are not safe. By heaven, I think there is no man secure but the queen's kindred and night-walking heralds that trudge betwixt the king and Mistress Shore. Heard you not what an humble suppliant Lord Hastings was to her for his delivery? Humbly complaining to her deity got my Lord Chamberlain his liberty. I tell you what, I think it is our way, if we will keep in favor with the king, to be her men and wear her livery. The jealous, all-worn widow and herself, since that our brother dubbed them gentlefolks, are mighty gossips in our monarchy. I beseech your graces both to pardon me. His majesty hath straightly given in charge that no man is to have private conference of what degree soever with your brother. Even so, and please your worship, Brackenbrick, you may partake of anything we say. We speak no treason, man. We say the king is wise and virtuous, his noble queen well struck in years, fair and not jealous. We say that Shaw's wife hath a pretty foot, a cherry lip, a bonny eye, and a passing pleasing tongue. And that the queen's kindred are made gentlefolks. How say you, sir? Can you deny this? With this, my lord, myself have not to do. Not to do with Mistress Shaw? Ooh. <laughs> he that doth not with her excepting one were best to do it secretly alone. What one, my lord? Why, her husband, knave. Wouldst thou betray me? I do beseech your grace to pardon me, and withal, forbear your conference with the noble duke. We know thy charge, Brackenbury, and will obey. We are the queen's abjects, and must obey. Brother, farewell. I will unto the king, and whatsoe'er you will employ me in, were it to call King Edward's widow sister, I will perform it to enfranchise you. Meantime... This deep disgrace in brotherhood touches me deeper than you can imagine. I know it pleaseth neither of us well. Well, your imprisonment shall not be long. I will deliver you or else lie for you. Meantime, have patience. I must perforce. Farewell. Go tread the path that thou shalt ne'er return. Simple, plain Clarence, I do love thee so that I will shortly send thy soul to heaven, if heaven will take the present at our hands. But 
Who comes here? Um, that was, in my opinion, that was terrific. And I hope you didn't feel rushed. And I thought the, the, the differences you found, the different energies in those sections was just terrific. Oh, good, good, good. And, and uh, Russell, your uh, Brackenberry gets more and more secure in his status every time. It's great. I mean, oh, that's, you, that's forcing you to slightly out of your comfort zone as an actor, I think, and that's always a good thing. So, oh, thank you. Bravi a tutti. Oh, uh, bravo. Oops, there we go. <laughs> So, so um, Nathan, how does this work now? Unless, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, who comes here? It's Nathan. Uh, back to uh, <laughs> back to back to move us on to the next scene. No, that was great. Thank you guys uh, so much. It was uh, it was uh, really exciting to hear, um, you know, what you what all of you were working on, and and I, I think you bring up it was a really fascinating question. Just because you're right, it, for a lot of audience members, there is that adjustment period, and yet. Uh, as we talked about, it's a very straightforward speech in terms of uh, what what he's attempting to communicate, uh, and just playing with that. And I and I thought that was really fun. And um, you know, one, some of the comments that I did see was that a lot of people really enjoyed, uh, even the first time. You know, Tony did the speech; they really enjoyed uh, how you handled it. So, um, so uh, no, th- thank you guys for sharing that. You know, it, it, there's no right. I'm not yes. right. It, it's you're always you know trying to figure it out somehow. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's, it's almost like, um, well, I mean, theater and stand-up comedy are, are very similar that, you know, if you were to do this for an audience, you would eventually find that rhythm that, you know, uh, that works. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that you feel like, Oh yeah. Okay. They're, they're with me. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I feel like they're, they're on this ride now. Um, and, and it's great how, you know, he so immediately gets to demonstrate what he's up to that his brother shows up and <laughs> I mean, there's all, these, well, there's all these double meanings that we know what's going on, all that dramatic irony, but, uh, you know, Clarence has no idea. Exactly. And, and I thought, um, it is, it is fun that in this particular play, the audience is ahead of what's happening from the beginning. Yeah, they don't have totally. to have been told. So right. you can, you, you get these dollops of dramatic irony in the, first hundred lines that normally you'd have to wait for. Um, Richard takes us into his uh, private thoughts right away and makes us uh, half guilty of everything he's doing because we love his cleverness even as we're horrified by what he's doing. And I'll I'll just add that I I enjoyed the the way you guys played the, the not- to do because it's a, it's a bit of a buried joke, but, um, I, I, I thought it, I thought it was uh, fairly clear. Good. <laughs> I was reckon anything in Shakespeare, if you're not quite sure, it's a dirty joke. It's just, yeah. Uh, cool. <laughs> they had more expressions for having it off than, I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, great. Well, uh, gentlemen, thank you very much. Uh, I think we can, uh, move to, uh, act four, scene four. Really appreciate, uh, the, the work you guys put into this and, uh, wonderfully done. So thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. So we'll, uh, okay. Yeah. We'll bring the women on for, uh, act four, scene four. Bravi a tutti. Bravi, bravi. We have the uh, the Italian uh, contingent between Jeffrey and Gigi now handled. Well, he started it. Hi to everybody. I'm the director. I don't really have any 
anticipation of speaking, but I wanted to introduce myself and thank you for being here. Thank you, Nathan, for giving us the opportunity. It was super fun. And maybe I'll see you um, later, but I'll let Gideon um, speak for uh, for the scene. Okay, I'm just going to introduce this second scene. It's Act 4, Scene 4. Richard III has now become king. He succeeded in inheriting the throne by killing everybody between himself and the throne. Um, there are three women in this scene who come on to lament what's been going on. So the eldest is Henry VI, widow. That is, she's the widow of the Lancastrian king, Henry VI, the last ca- uh, Lancaster king. And she um, is still alive, and she's quite old. And she had prophesied that the new queen, the new wife of Edward IV, the Yorkist king, would also eventually be miserable. And now that has happened. Um, why? Because Richard has killed her two sons, the heir to the throne and the, the heir and the spare. Um, also here is the Duchess of York. She is the mother of the three Yorkist pretenders or kings. She's the mother of Edward IV, of Clarence, and of Richard. And so she's got this hideous youngest son who's been killing off her older sons and her grandchildren. Um, and then there is the widow of Edward IV, this upstart widow that married the king, whom they were talking about in the first scene, um, and she's just lost her two sons, the heir and the spare, to the murderous intentions of Richard. So they're entering together um, at, at successively. First Margaret speaks, and then the others come in. And um, during this scene, you will hear Margaret give another prophesi- prophecy about the end of the play, what's going to happen when all these crimes come to their fruition uh, and finally, Richard, as the audience knows, is uh, defeated. So, now prosperity begins to mellow and drop into the rotten mouth of death. Here in these confines, slyly have I lurked to watch the waning of mine enemies. A dire induction am I witness to and will to France, hoping the consequence will prove as bitter, black, and tragical. Withdraw thee, wretched Margaret, who comes here. Ah, my poor princess, ah, my tender babes, my unblown flowers, new appearing sweets, if yet your gentle souls fly in the air and be not fixed in doom perpetual... Hover about me with your airy wings and hear your mother's lamentation. Hover about her. Say that right for right hath dimmed your infant morn to aged night. So many miseries have crazed my voice that my woe-weary tongue is still in mute. Edward Plantagenet, why art thou dead? Plantagenet for Plantagenet, Edward for Edward pays a dying debt. Wilt thou, O oh God, fly from such gentle lambs and throw them in the entrails of the wolf? When didst thou sleep when such a deed was done? When holy Harry died and my sweet son. Dead life, 
Blind sight poor mortal living ghost. Woe's scene, world's shame, graves due by life usurped. Brief abstract and record of tedious days. Rest thy unrest on England's lawful earth, unlawfully made drunk with innocent blood. Ah, uh, that thou wouldst as soon afford a grave as thou canst yield a melancholy seat. Then would I hide my bones, not rest them here. <sighs> Who hath any cause to mourn but we? If ancient sorrow be most reverend, give mine the benefit of seniory, and let my grief frown on the upper hand. If sorrow can admit society, tell o'er your woes again by viewing mine. I had an Edward till a Richard killed him. I had a husband till a Richard killed him. Thou hadst an Edward till a Richard killed him. Thou hadst a Richard till a Richard killed him. I had a Richard too, and thou didst kill him. I had a Rutland too, and thou hopes to kill him. Thou hadst a Clarence too, and a Richard killed him. From forth the kennel of thy womb hath crept a hellhound that doth hent us all to death. That dog that had his teeth before his eyes to worry lambs and lap their gentle blood. That excellent grand tyrant of the earth that reigns in galled eyes of weeping souls. That foul defacer of God's handiwork. Thy womb let loose to chase us to our graves. Oh, upright, just, and true disposing God, how do I thank thee that this carnal cur preys on the issue of his mother's body and makes her pew fellow with others moan? Oh, Harry's wife, triumph not in my woe. God witness with me, I have wept for thine. Bear with me. I am hungry for revenge, and now I cloy me with beholding it. Thy Edward, he is dead that killed my Edward. Thy other Edward dead to quit my Edward. York, he is but boot, because both they matched not the high perfection of my loss. Thy Clarence, he is dead that stabbed my Edward. And the beholders of this frantic play, the adulterate Hastings, Rivers, Vaughan, Gray, untimely smothered in their dusky graves. Richard yet lives. Hell's black intelligencer only reserved their factor to buy souls and send them thither. But at hand... At hand ensues his piteous and unpitied end. Earth gapes, hell burns, fiends roar, saints pray to have him suddenly conveyed from hence. Cancel his bond of life, dear God, I pray, that I may live and say the dog is dead. Oh, thou didst prophesy that I should wish for thee to help me curse that bottled spider, that foul bunchback's toad. 
I called thee then vain flourish of my fortune. I called thee then poor shadow painted queen. The presentation of what, what I was. The flattering index of a direful pageant. One heaved a high to be hurled down below. A mother only mocked with two fair babes. A dream of what thou wast, a garish flag to be the aim of every dangerous shot, a sign of dignity, a breath, a bubble, a queen in jest, only to fill the scene. Where is thy husband now? Where be thy brothers? Where are thy two sons? Wherein dost thou joy? Who sues and kneels and says, God save the queen? Where be the bending peers that flattered thee? Where be the thronging troops that followed thee? Decline all this and see what now thou art. For happy wife, a most distressed widow. For joyful mother, one that wails the name for one being sued to, one who humbly sues for queen, a caitiff crowned with care for she that scorned at me now scorned of me for she being feared of all now fearing one for she commanding all obeyed of none. Thus hath the course of justice whirled about and left thee but a very prey to time. Having no more but thought of what thou wast to torture thee the more being what thou art. Thou didst usurp my place and dost thou not usurp the just proportion of my sorrow. Now thy proud neck bears half my burdened yoke, from which even here I slip my weary head and leave the burden of it all on thee. Farewell, York's wife and queen of sad mischance. These English woes shall make me smile in France. Oh, thou so well skilled in curses, stay a while and teach me how to curse mine enemies. I forbear to sleep the nights and fast the days. Compare dead happiness with living woe. Think that thy babes were sweeter than they were, and he that slew them fouler than he is. See, bettering thy loss makes the bad cause worse. Revolving this will teach thee how to curse. My words are dull, oh, quicken them with mine, with thine. Thy woes will make them sharp and pierce like mine.
Why should calamity be full of words? India turnings to their clients' woes. Airy succeeders of intestate joys. Poor breathing orators of miseries. Let them have scope. Though what they will impart help nothing else, yet they do ease the heart. So, and be not tongue-tied. Go with me, and in the breath of bitter words, let's smother my damned son. Let thy two sweet sons smothered. The trumpet sounds. Be copious, it exclaims. Nice. Come come back, actresses. Actors. Female actors. Come back. Come back. Do I have to bring the cat back, too? Oh, my God. I didn't know what that was. I wanted you to pick that cat up and incorporate it in the scene, however it was. <laughs> Next time, pick up your fucking cat. Incorporate it. Excuse my friend. Damn cat comes at the most dramatic section of the thing as well. <laughs> you know, we're in our homes. We have to incorporate stuff. What can you do? Uh, 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 yeah. I, I think I have her locked out now. We'll see. He was crying with grief along with all of you. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I, I was amazed at how nervous this made me doing oh, this. Same. Well, you're, you're a champ. Nobody knew that. Anyway. I think the, the nerves were great because I, it's the best you've done it. It was absolutely brilliant. Just brilliant. Thank you. Um, so Nathan, uh, you're welcome to join us. I'm just, I was going to ask that we go back and do parts of it if we have time. Unless Gideon wanted to have, to make some commentary or if the actors want to discuss their experience. Otherwise we can just, uh, go back and do some, some bits of it. I, I just have particular word things, but I'm not going to take time to go through them. Um, I, I just have, I'll just say two things. One, uh, line 50, Angie. Yeah, um, I know. What do you mean? Well, I don't know what I'm going to say. I'm not going to say that you swallowed the word hunt. I'm going to say that hellhound and hunt both start with an H, and the alliteration is purposeful. So you can use that. Great. Um, and then when you when we've got the adulterate Hastings uh, Rivers Vaughn Graves line seventy one. Adulterate modifies Hastings, but not the other three. Yeah. He's had an affair with with Lady Shaw. I know. Okay. So you can just separate those two. But those are my only... Oh, uh, Ashley Dull, not whatever you were saying. Did it again, didn't I? Yeah. Dull. Thank Dull. you. <laughs> uh, and okay, Candace, hold on. Get in. Can I show her? Look at my mouth. Dull. Dull. Go ahead and open it. Dull. Uh, Dull. Yeah. Oh, like you UH. Oh. Dull. Dull. Oh, UH. Okay, Dull. I was putting... Okay. Dull. Dull. Yeah. Dull. Okay, and, thank you. Uh, Candace, at line 136 at the very end, mm -hmm. I know you were you were emotionally whispering, but we didn't hear the word if. It got kind of swallowed. Uh, oh, okay. So if so, you can do what you want there, but we have to hear it. Got it. Good. Um, are you guys up for messing around a little bit? Sure. Please. Yeah. Um, I'll just say one, uh, um, Ashley, 
So you've got to be on your script when you're not completely memorized. You cannot skip some Shakespeare words. You just can't. So yeah. So you missed it. Just a couple that I noticed. I wasn't on my script most of the time, but I did notice that you missed a few words. Um. um so just just. Uh, um. Yeah. Uh, the prophesied. Oh, that this prophesy the time would come. You missed the time would come. So it's just it's the time would come, yeah. It's Shakespeare. You can't you can't not do it. It's better to do it yeah. badly. And no acting, but you have to have the words. I would never say that for anything else, but um but for this I would um did the actors want to say anything about their experience? Angie did. Ashley or, or Candace, do you wanna say anything before we go back and do a little work? Yeah. Um it was honestly such a pleasure to do this. At first, um, I, I've taken a, quite a bit of a break from Shakespeare, so coming back to it, it was such a cool opportunity to work with other actors, and being in our own homes, it's kind of weird, and you're, like, adapting to this environment, but um, it's been really nice to have a dramaturg involved in the process, because I do feel it it does something for the work you're doing, um, so that's been such a pleasure, and working with some very strong women makes me always so very happy because it's such a pleasure to to have that opportunity. And, you know, the boys had their fun. Now it's our turn. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Thank you. I just had one question. I'll jump in from offstage. Uh, You know, I'm curious for for all the actors, was there anything uh, that particularly challenged you about this scene, either, either your role. I mean, obviously the, the Duchess is much older than, than Candace, but that doesn't necessarily have to be the challenge. But I'm just curious if there was something that, that challenged you for, for all three of you. Mm. The warm up, the, the prep work that goes into it for sure. Cause mm-hmm. we're coming into such an, if you will, an emotional scene where all of this death and sorrow. And if like two minutes before you were just watching something great on Netflix, that was definitely the hardest part and trying to keep the focus in the zoom room, if you will, versus um, being able to be in the room with the other actors and actually like vibe off of their, their energy and their feelings. Like I'm like, I wish I was in the same room with Angie to feel all of this, like, huh, energy. Cause I'm like, Oh, that would, that would help. So trying to get it through sure. be a challenge. Yeah. And along the same lines as Candace, not having the opportunity to, have a whole rehearsal process where we've worked the rest of the scenes coming up to this one where we're just jumping right into this incredibly high stakes moment. I'd, I'd say that that was definitely a challenge. A good challenge, but a challenge. <laughs> Did you like that, that the gimmick of turning the light out for the hiding? Great. I thought of it at the very last second. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for, thank you for the thing glitch. <laughs> I loved it. Brilliant. Okay, should we just go back a little bit? Totally. Um, so in the first beat, um, after, after Margaret has, um, once you, you enter Queen Elizabeth and a duchess, just remember that this is a prayerful, the first beat is a prayerful one until Margaret reveals herself. Okay. So go internal. You know, it's not an external thing. It's, it's an internal thing. You're together, but you're both in this kind of prayerful mode, you know, begging, beseeching mode, beseeching God for help, I think. Um, yeah, so that's what I would say for that first beat. And then for the second beat, when when um, Margaret uh, arrives, for the Duchess, I would say 
I don't know what your objective is, but I didn't know what you wanted in that moment. And um, I think if you allow yourself to receive the painful insults about your son, that all of this is essentially your fault. She's saying mm-hmm. all these murders would, you know, he came out of you. You're, you're really the, you know, it's your fault. It's really your fault. I mean, it's a horrible thing to contemplate. I'm sure you have contemplated it before this moment. Mm-hmm. What the, the nightmare of being the mother of this, this horrific, you know, human being. Yeah. Um, think, think what Mama Trump feels like. Um, so, <laughs> so find, find your objective. Um, I, it might be something like to, to, to fight off your emotion or to, to mm-hmm. fight her off or something, mm-hmm. but you need to have some kind of internal, um, fight that's going on. Okay. Zizi, can I add in? Yeah. When Candace did, I had a Richard too. Um, I, I got that it was angry and I think that's right because Margaret, she's got a lot to weep over, but she was a pretty vile customer in the earlier plays and she was responsible for the death of, of the Duchess's people. Um, the, the, her husband York and her, her other son Rutland. So, so there's a, this combination of what you're saying plus um, a real anger that that part of this, and she's right about this, is revenge for the earlier sins of the Lancasters. Mm-hmm. That it's you. not only that the Yorks are evil and the Lancasters were good. It's They're all bad, which is why everybody has to die before England can be restored. Yeah. So I think she's voicing this double thing. Yeah. And and let's remember who she was known as, uh, proud sis, and she had pride and temper and piety. But don't be afraid of that, Candace. You can you can rise to meet to match. You can match Queen Margaret in okay. you know in sharpness. Um, okay, why don't we just um, uh, if we have time, we can go further. But we're going to run out of time if we just do notes. So why don't we just take it from um, from uh Queen Margaret uh well why don't we take it from the top? Why don't we take it from the top? And um then I'll stop you. Okay? Okay everybody? Sounds okay. good. Okay, thank you. It's all right, Angie? Yep. So now prosperity begins to mellow and drops into the rotten mouth of death. Here in these confines, slyly have I lurked to watch the waning of mine enemies. A dire induction am I witness to, and will to France, hoping the consequence will prove as bitter, black, and a tragical. Withdraw thee, wretched Margaret, who comes here. My poor princess, ah, my tender babes. My unblown flowers, new appearing sweets. If yet your gentle souls fly in the air and be not fixed in doom perpetual, hover about me with your airy wings and hear your mother's lamentation. Hover about her. Say that right for right hath dimmed your infant more to aged night. 
So many miseries have crazed my voice that my woe-weary tongue is still and mute. Edward Plantagenet, why art thou dead? Plantagenet doth quit Plantagenet. Edward, for Edward pays a dying debt. Wilt thou, O God, fly from such gentle lambs and throw them in the entrails of the wolf? When didst thou sleep when such a deed was done? When Holy Harry died? And my sweet son? Dead life, blind sight, poor mortal living ghost. Woe's seen world's shame graves do by life usurped brief abstracted record of tedious days. Rest thy unrest on England's lawful earth, unlawfully made drunk with innocent blood. Ah, that thou wouldst as soon afford a grave as thou canst yield a melancholy seat. Then would I hide my bones, not rest them here. <sighs> Who hath any cause to mourn but we? If ancient sorrow be most reverend, give mine the benefit of seniory and let my griefs frown on the upper hand. If sorrow can admit society, tell o'er your woes again by viewing mine. I had an Edward till a Richard killed him. I had a husband till a Richard killed him. Thou hadst an Edward till a Richard killed him. Thou hadst a Richard till a Richard killed him. I had a Richard too, and thou didst kill him. I had a Rutland too. Thou hopes to kill him. Thou hadst a Clarence too, and Richard killed him. From forth the kennel of thy womb hath crept a hellhound that doth hunt us all to death. That dog that had his teeth before his eyes to worry lambs and lap their gentle blood. That excellent grand tyrant of the earth that reigns in galled eyes of weeping souls that foul defacer of God's handiwork, thy womb let loose to chase us to our graves. Oh, upright, just, and a true disposing God, how do I thank thee that this carnal cur preys on the issue of his mother's body and makes her pew-fellow with others moan? Oh, Harry's wife, triumph. Not in my woes. God witness with me, I have wept for thine. Bear with me. I am hungry for revenge, and now I cloy me with beholding it. Thy Edward, he is dead that killed my Edward. Thy other Edward dead to quit my Edward. Young York... He is but boot because both of they match not the high perfection of my loss. Thy Clarence, he is dead that stabbed my Edward. And the beholders of this frantic play, the adulterate Hastings, Rivers, Vaughan, Gray, untimely smothered in their dusky graves. Richard yet lives. 
hell's black intelligencer only reserved in their factor to buy souls and send them thither. But at hand, at hand ensues his piteous and unpitied end. Earth gapes, hell burns, fiends roar, saints pray to have him suddenly conveyed from hence. Cancel his bond of life, dear God, I pray, that I may live and say the dog is dead. Oh, thou didst prophesy the time would come that I should wish for thee to help me curse that bottled spider, that foul bunchback toad. Can I can I interrupt for a second, you guys? Thank you. Mm-hmm. It was wonderful. How did that feel? Much better. <laughs> it was amazing. It was great. So let's keep going from this moment. But um, Elizabeth, um, remember what, what's your subtext here for that little speech? Oh, I said it's prophesy the time would come. Oh, you told me so. <clears throat> yeah. So you're acknowledging her. So acknowledge her. I mean, maybe that maybe that involves some humility. I don't know. Yeah. And and you were going to maybe discover this? Yeah, definitely. Potentially. Um so you know, it's not easy to acknowledge, but but I think you 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 know, you're you you're acknowledging it. And you're you're with her. So you're joining with her essentially in this moment, right? Yeah. The curse Richard. Yeah. And um so the the, the and then now Margaret's going to have a long speech, um, <laughs> warning you, right? Full of real horrific insults. So, um, here, maybe I'll show myself. So I can, yeah, that's better. Um, so I think for this, for that long speech, you know, it, it takes guts to just stand there and take it, right? You don't interrupt mm-hmm. her. You let her go on and on and on and on. She really, you know, gives it to you. Um, I don't know if you could look at her. You looked at her the whole time. I don't know. Maybe you can. But if you're going to look at her, then look at her with, you know, match match her power. I, I don't think yeah. I could look at her when she, if I were Elizabeth, telling me all that. Yeah. Um, I think I would experience shame. But but that's up to you. So what is your objective in that moment? You're experiencing shame. You can't. You know. Um, what is your objective to allow her to continue talking to you in that way? I mean, she's the she's the the senior to you, but still, um, what would, what would your objective be during that speech? Do you know? I mean, I think what I was going with was that this is the price for her teaching me how to curse is Great. this hideousness Great. is what I have to pay. Good. So you're going to take it from her, right? So you're going to take it yeah. because you, because you've got to pay the price. So while you're taking it, what's your objective? I guess I, I guess I wasn't very clear on that. Um, maybe something yeah. like just to, to maintain, to hold your head up, to, to, yeah. you know, to, I don't know, to, to fight internally, something, uh, yeah. to, to, to take it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I see what you're saying. I, I see how that was, how that was definitely unclear with what I was doing. Yeah. Some strong internal need. I don't really care what it is as long as it's strong internal yeah. need to maintain yourself. While she 
basically burns you, burns, she's burning you alive, basically, yeah. for a long time. And you take yeah. it. And then finally, though, and she says goodbye, and then you, you, you beg her to stay. Cause you, yeah. because you want what from her? I want the ability to curse from her. I want so maybe, her poison. Mm-hmm. So maybe you are trying to, maybe your, your objective during that long speech is to, to, you know, take on her vile mm-hmm. energy. Maybe you need to adopt them. Maybe that's what you want. Maybe you're yeah. something like that. I mean, maybe. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Okay. And then the Duchess at the very end, when you say, when you, you when, uh, after, after Margaret leaves and then you have this, this brief scene with Elizabeth and you say, why should calamity be full of words? I think you find a reason to really need that answer, that you need an answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Either you're asking, you know, the universe or you're asking Elizabeth, but really, really ask. Okay. And, and allow her response to, I mean, in the asking and maybe in her response, garner your energies because you are, go, you're about to go off. You're about to go and, you know, let Richard have it, right? Right. So gather your strengths. Okay. 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 Let's go back to where we left off. If we have time to, uh, to run through it, I think we do. Let's take it from Queen Margaret from, uh, Elizabeth. Let me live and say the dog is dead. That'd be great. Yeah. Okay. Um, cancel his bond of life. Dear God, I pray that I may live and say the dog is dead. Oh, thou didst prophesy that time would come that I should wish for thee to help me curse that bottled spider, that foul bunchbacked toad. I call thee then vain flourish of my fortune. I call thee then poor shadow, painted queen, the presentation of but what I was, the flattering index of a direful pageant, one heaved a high to be hurled down below. A mother only mocked with two fair babes. A dream of what thou wast, a garish flag to be the aim of every dangerous shot, a sign of dignity, a breath, a bubble, a queen in jest, only to fill the scene. Where is thy husband now? Where be thy brothers? Where are thy two sons? Wherein dost thou joy? Who sues and kneels and says, God save the queen? Where be the bending peers that flattered thee? Where be the thronging troops that followed thee? Decline all this and see what now thou art. For happy wife, a most distressed widow. For joyful mother, one that wails the name. For one being sued to, one that humbly sues. For queen, 
a very caitiff crowned with care, for she that scorned at me now scorned of me, for she being feared of all now fearing one, for she commanding all obeyed of none. Thus hath the course of justice whirled about and left thee but a prey to time. Having no more but thought of what thou wast to torture me thee the more for being what thou art. Thou didst usurp my place and dost thou not usurp the just proportion of my sorrow? Now thy proud neck bears half my burdened yoke, from which even here I slip my weary head and leave the burden of it all on thee. Farewell, York's wife and queen of said mischance. These English woes shall make me smile in France. Oh, thou well-skilled in curses, stay a while and teach me how to curse mine enemies. Forbear to sleep the nights and fast the days compared Dead happiness with living woe. Think that thy babes were sweeter than they were, and he that slew them fouler than he is. See, bettering thy loss and makes the bad causer worse. Revolving this will teach thee how to curse. My words are dull. Go quicken them with thine. Thy woes will make them sharp and pierce like mine. Why should calamity be full of words? When the attorneys to their clients' woes Airy succeeders of intestate joys, poor breathing orators of miseries, let them have scope. Though what they will impart help nothing else, yet they do ease the heart. If so, then be not tongue-tied. Go with me, and in the breath of bitter words, let smother my damned son that thy two sweet sons smothered. The trumpet sounds. Be copious and exclaims. Much better. <clears throat> One thing this makes clear is why it's a good idea to have a run through the day of opening. <laughs> Nathan, we took up all the time. I'm sorry I wasn't really paying attention. Oh, that's okay. Um, it I, uh, everybody can hear me. I, I, for some reason, I'm not able to turn my video on, but that's okay. Um, we can see you. Oh, all right. My, then my, 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 my screen is totally frozen. Then I don't know. Who knows what I'm watching? 
Um, but that's okay. Uh, well, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was really great to see. I, ju- I just wanted to share some uh, questions, uh, that people had from the chat. Um, Mary asked, uh, is it hard to play such tragic characters if you have not experienced tragedy in life? And certainly this is a, a, you know, an enormous amount of tragedy, unlike most people experience. So, um, you know, for, for any of the women, uh, how, what are your thoughts on that? Um, yes, yes and no. It's, it's really difficult to get yourself into the emotional zone for it when you're doing your emotional prep initially. But once you've gotten yourself into that space, it's, it's quite a bit easier. I agree. And I know Gigi and I talked a little bit about how grief is different when it's a mother child relationship versus a, you know, lover or a friend or something like that. But, um, grief is something I feel like most people have experienced and you can always pull on other people's experiences and their knowledge of it to help you build that. Um, yeah. Great. Great. Uh, and Judy, do you have anything you wanted to add to that? Did you say Gigi? No, Angie, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I know how much you love talking about acting, Angie. Yeah, I, don't, I, I don't know. All right, well. Um, I, I don't know what's to add. Okay. You, you, you only have your own tragedies, however right. small or, I mean, because you're lucky, aren't you allowed to complain? I mean, sorry. Right, right. <laughs> Um, well, okay. So here, here's another question uh, from, I, oh, yes. Yeah, go ahead. I want to add to it because I know we're out of time, but I want to add to that, to that answer. And that is that as an actor, we walk in other people's shoes. Our greatest, um, our, one of our greatest, um, uh, tasks as an ass actor is to, uh, gain empathy so that we might, um, grow our own, uh, emotional capacity, even if we haven't been, uh, tormented by a horrific grief that we have had some grief and we can imagine what it feels like to um to have a greater grief mm-hmm. so that's that's one of the costs of being an actor but that's that's part of our job so it's part of the audience's experience to have that uh, experience of the play expand our own emotional range too we empathize into what's going on on the stage and it broadens our experience emotionally as well as in every other way. So the actor becomes a medium of that, um, as the words are a medium of that, and the audience also experiences more than what they may have experienced in life. Well, it may be harder to imagine yourself a queen than imagine yourself grief-stricken. Yes. Hey, it's Nathan here one more time. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in to that uh, entire presentation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I love going back. I mean, every time I watch these, I'll learn something new. Uh, the, the work is just so fantastic and so deep. Uh, it, it's just wonderful. So I hope you really enjoyed that. Uh, and like I said, the plan is to roll out more of these. So please stay tuned to the podcast uh, or YouTube. Um, you know, I'll really, I'm really making an effort to, uh, you know, put more of this out there and not just uh, hold on to it and wait for someday. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you're not on the email list, go to workingactorsjourney.com. Um, that is usually uh, where you will find out first about things that are coming up. 
you know, where I first shared about uh, Libby being part of the rehearsal room and anything else that's going on, I probably will be able to email about it first before I'm able to get it out on the podcast uh, or YouTube. Maybe social media, but email is, again, going to be your best bet. So workingactorsjourney.com. It's free to sign up. You can even get uh, a resource. It's called 10 Ways to Stop Worrying and Start Working. Uh, some of the uh, best advice from, I think, the first two seasons of the show uh, in a PDF. So you get that immediately when you uh, sign up. Uh, you get that free. And then you'll get ongoing notices of what we're doing. So that is it. Hope you're having a great rest of your day. Look forward to sharing more with you soon. And take care. I'm Nathan Agan, and enjoy the journey.